Hagerstown Church, I want to welcome you to our first Merged. I pray that you will be encouraged as I am. We talk about there being a, a new normal, and I despise that phrase. This is normal. The saints of God gathering here in this place around the Word of God, sin being repented of, souls being encouraged. This for the next 150 years, as long as our Lord tarries. I want to tell you a little bit about superheroes. Quick, it's three to five. If you're in Hubtown Kids, I want to invite you to come to my left, your right. If you're heading that way, I want to tell you a little bit about superheroes. Um, quickly, think in your mind, what is your, who's your favorite superhero? Your favorite superhero. Full as they may be, that superhero that you have in your mind has a weakness. Did you know that God has a weakness? Kids is going to be learning this truth that God, the creator of the universe, is all powerful. And so ask your kid, uh, you see them after service today, what, what they learned about God and how uh, they learned about his power and his nature. We say that today is just Sunday. The Lord gives us his word and his church gathers around it. And so just normally as we would, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 is what we'll be looking at this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. This is what the word of God Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to me and it is safe for you look out for dogs look out for evildoers look out for those who mutilate the flesh for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Oh, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. Let's turn now to him and ask him to bless it. Father, again we turn to you, humbly acknowledging our weakness to understand, to conform to apply, and yet none of these things are out of your reach. So we pray that your spirit would take your word and apply it to our lives. 
Conform us to the image of Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, it's a schoolyard pick. It's an uncomfortable situation for many of us. You got that pit in your stomach? Will you be picked last again? You're not the one to be picked last. You're the one that is picking. The game, basketball, three on three. You're the captain. You have the option to pick first. And who are the options? Small, fourth grade, four feet tall, left-handed, pretty good shooter. Elena, fifth grade, four foot two, she's a ball handler. She's got skills. Then we have Greg, also in the fifth grade, four feet tall, eight inches. He doesn't play basketball at all. And finally, we have Charles, 58 years old, six foot six, 11 time NBA All Star. As our friend Jeremy Brandt, history and the history of decisions, rather. But you have to pick one of those. One of those four, who will you pick? Will you pick the mound of rebound to be on your team? In this scenario, he would surely bring you to victory. He would surely bring you joy and delight. Let me ask you this, though. Have you ever misjudged a situation? We think that that situation, to pick Charles Barkley, would be the easiest decision ever. And yet, there's been times in our lives where we have made the wrong chosen unwisely have you ever made a wrong choice one that led you not to delight but to disappointment well of course we all have each of us has overlooked the obvious choice in our lives we've placed our confidence in something what would take us to victory failed to make the correct choice and sorrow ensued again in our passage morning our brother Paul he calls the believer to rejoice in Christ Jesus to celebrate Christ Jesus to glory and delight in Christ Jesus and this is the that I offer for you this morning coming from this text this morning is this Christian delight in knowing Christ delight in knowing Christ despite all the things that Paul had gone for him despite all the things that Paul had going against him he delighted in knowing Christ he relished the thought that he was in Christ maybe even now you would say this morning pastor John in delight but in fact I'm experiencing disappointment well for you I believe that Paul gives three things he reminds us of three things that if we will remember them, they will in fact increase our delight in Christ Jesus the Lord. Here's those three things for you. One, that you would remember the weakness of that you would remember the weakness of your flesh. Two, that you would remember the worth of knowing Christ. That you would remember the worth of Christ, what he means to you, what he can mean to you if and finally, remember the weight of your choice. The weight of your choice. First, remembering the weakness of our flesh. Look at verse 2. The Apostle Paul says, look out for dogs. Look out for evildoers, those who would mutilate the flesh. Just a moment before, last week, the 
verses that we looked at at the end of chapter 2, Paul says, hey, there's two prime examples that you should be following after. One of those other Timothy and the other Epaphroditus. Follow in their footsteps. out for them and emulate them. But in contrast today, he says, rejoice in the Lord and look out for dogs and do not emulate them for they mutilate themselves. Paul is likely referring to the Judaizers who were plaguing the church of Philippi and he's warning the church about them and he's saying, look for those dirty, dirty dogs. I can tell some of you this morning, how could Paul speak? How could he ever say something about our precious four-legged furry friends? Well, you have to think in Paul's day, were not man's best friend. You know who made that up? The SPCA. They were overrun. That's not a true story. But in fact, in Paul's day, dogs carried diseases. They scavenged for food. You didn't want them around you. They were dangerous. They were animals that could bring you and your family harm. Judaizers were Jewish Christians, so to speak, who believed that to receive salvation from God, you had to keep the Old Testament laws in addition to trusting in Christ. The Judaizers would call Gentiles dogs. And here Paul turns the term on them. No, they are the dogs. They are the evildoers. They are the ones that are leading, like the Pied Piper, the church at Philippi, to dilute their uh, their foundation their confidence in Jesus Christ and they're calling to circumcise themselves circumcision was an old uh, old covenant procedure part of the old testament it was an act of obedience it was an act of worship and it served to as a unit of compliance to God and worship of God and all Jews all Jews would have to be circumcised even if you were to convert to Judaism, you would have to be circumcised regardless of your age. This is how you entered, so to speak, the covenant. Birthed into that family. Given the sign of the covenant. This was how you would become a part of the true people of God. And yet in contrast, Paul says of circumcision to the In verse 3, for we are the circumcision we are the circumcision we don't need circumcision we are the circumcision and we worship by the spirit of god and we glory in christ jesus putting no confidence in the flesh you see paul counters their instruction by the saints at philippi were were the circumcision in a spiritual sense these christian believers were already part by god they were the true people of God. He goes on to say that they are to in Christ Jesus and not to place any confidence in any human activity or action. God had already done spiritual work in their hearts already. And now there was no way that they could ever improve their being before God. Christian, if you're here this morning, your heart has already been circumcised. You've already been added to the family of God and there's nothing more that needs to be added to that. Nothing more that needs to be done. And Paul knows the weakness of the flesh. 
the inability of the flesh to add anything to what Christ has done, he says, he says so in verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if there were a reason, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, he says, I have more. Paul goes on to offer his pedigree to substantiate the strong claim. Any Judaizer hearing Paul list this out would salivate as they heard Paul state that he was circumcised on the eighth day, that he was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, Paul was saying, and here's what all that means. He's saying you couldn't find a better Jew. Paul's saying you couldn't find a better Jew a better pedigree. I was circumcised on the exact right pure of a true tribe of Israel. He says I've climbed the ranks of the elite. And at one point I was so zealous that I was willing to persecute those who I perceived were going against God and the truth that he has revealed. When people would look at Paul's life, when Paul at a certain point would look at his life, he would say, God's grace, a time when our, our friend, our brother, the Apostle Paul, where his perspective changed. He says in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Why would Paul look at all of these great things that are true about him and say, these things are with integrity, looking at his own life and saying, actually meaningless. No power. It's worthless. It is unable to save me. It's unable to do anything for me. He came to understand the truths of Romans chapter 8, verse 3. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to jot that down and circle back to it some study. There we read this in the Word, though. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. And what did He do? He sent His Son, it says, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin and the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us to the flesh, but not according to the flesh rather, but according to the Spirit. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. This is Paul's testimony. Though I am circumcised on the eighth day, it is unable to save me. Though I am the, of the tribe of Benjamin, it's unable to save me. Though I'm a Pharisee, unable to save me. The law was weakened by the flesh. For many of you, you can remember a sweet but frustrating day when your toddler began to try to put their own seatbelt on. I can do it. No. They don't want your help. They don't even want you around. Step aside. I can do it. They think that they can. They want to more than anything. And they try and they try and they try, but they are unable to do so. And you have to step in at some point and say, I'm going to help you step this. This is a sort, in a way, what's happening in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Paul has tried and tried to put his own salvation seatbelt on, and God says, Are you 
tired? Are you done? You'll never make it on your own. I don't need your help. Let me complete the work. Let me start the work. God did all unable to do. Christian, God has done you have been unable. You see, the flesh is unable to according to the law it is weak in that way it only serves the are indeed sinful and that we need something other than us to save us god sent jesus to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law and he did in fact do so you must come to the place just as paul where you recognize on your best day you are si- simply a sinner Maybe from the outside, would look clean. But even he would know that his heart was sinful. He would never be able to cleanse away the impure motives and even idolatry. Exterior good deeds. Paul warns us the flesh is unable to save you. Don't lean on it, don't trust it. Have confidence in the flesh. Let me ask you this morning. Where are you tempted to place confidence in the flesh? Where are you tempted to place confidence in the flesh? I doubt it's circumcision. I doubt it's your identity as a... And yet at the same time, without a doubt, we have the same impulses to place confidence in our own works, confidence in our own flesh, what has happened to us or what we can accomplish. And Paul warns us this morning, this is the way of the dogs. This is the thought of the evildoer. Be careful. Be warned. Maybe you would say, but I was part of the core team way back in 2018, all the way back then. Since that time, I've given and collected 300 pounds of frozen poultry. Maybe you'd say, I've completed the Bible reading program and I've memorized over 50 verses in the last three years. I am a choice church member. Or maybe your story's a little bit different. Maybe you'd say, my great-grandfather was a deacon of this church and all the Sunday school pins that have ever been passed out, I have each of them. I've collected all of them. You say, I've been 139 years. I am a faithful church member. In spite of all of these things, Paul is saying, do not trust the works of the flesh. Have no confidence in them. Maybe besides those two things, you're more subtle, and yet you're still tempted to place confidence in the flesh. By the way, as a side note, not a part of the main thrust of this sermon, let me offer you this. Our stories are vastly different for many of us. Some of us raised in this church. Some of us, this is our first day. We have different testimonies and different pasts. And yet all of us together, if we lean into the merits that we have earned in some small way, this earthly righteousness produced by the flesh will never have unity. Never. We'll never experience it. Only when we count our story, our contributions as rubbish, and we look to Christ and turn to His glory and delight in His power in this place, Will we be unified? With that aside, let's continue with the main idea here. No confidence in the flesh. In the church, there's far too little delighting. 
Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. I would say, I think, there's far too little rejoicing. We want to rejoice in the Lord. We want to delight in Him. And yet we still see far too little. Less than He would want for us. Why is that? Perhaps it is because we are choosing poorly. Perhaps we've placed our confidence in our own ability and that has left a sour taste in our mouth. This is part of the fallen human condition. We, in our deepest parts of our heart, we want to be our own saviors. We want to apply our own seatbelts. We delight in ourselves as the victor. However, that delight sours like milk past its expiration date. And we are back losing that sense of delight. I offer you this. As you consider... The inability of the flesh. Think this. When you stand before God, what will you claim? What will you list out as to why He should let you into His holy heaven? Whose merits will you claim? Are you placing your confidence in that moment in your own works? Surely you wouldn't do so. It's weak. You're unable to save yourself. And Paul spends a little bit of time letting us know how weak our own works are. And he spends the bulk of his time reminding us, not of the first point, that we are weak in our flesh. But he calls our attention to remembering the worth of knowing Christ. And this is our second point this morning. Remember the worth of knowing Christ. Look at what Paul says in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There's no comparison in value between knowing Christ and the works that you can accomplish through the flesh. Between what Christ has accomplished and what what the flesh can accomplish. Contest. Speaking of Jesus saying that his value is ever surpassing. He says, for Christ's sake, to For the sake of knowing Christ, I have counted everything in my life as loss. I count everything as rubbish. Rubbish. I'm too polite a man to tell you what Paul means by this, but it's refuse. It's something that's utterly disgusting. He's saying this is is what my greatest thing that I can accomplish. It is rubbish before God. Paul's actions that they were in accordance with the law. They, even the ones that were in accordance with the law, they could not have always been pure. Even if he could have said, I've always kept the Ten Commandments, just as the rich young ruler says, from my youth, even then, though that were unlikely, his motives would still be impure. I love that Jerry Bridges says this, even our tears of repentance need to be washed by the blood of the Lamb. Even our repentance has an inkling, a a sinful inkling of selfish idolatry and impure motives. And Paul is saying, even the greatest things I could ever accomplish in this life, the greatest works of the flesh, though they look like righteousness compared to Christ, they are not. And in contrast, Jesus truly was righteous. He didn't just have clean hands, but he also had a pure heart. Paul could see the value of Christ, the value of knowing Christ, because Christ's righteousness far exceeded his own. And that is an understatement. But in verse 8, Paul goes on. 
in order, I've done these things in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul saw incredible value in Christ and his righteousness. And here in these verses 9, 10, and 11, we see what Paul saw as valuable What Paul believed was available through knowing Christ. The first is justification. That fancy 50-cent word in verse 9, right? He says, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul says, I am able to be counted righteous because of my knowing Christ, because of my personal relationship with Jesus. God declared Paul righteous. He's thinking of Galatians 2, no doubt, verses 15 and 16, where Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, uncircumcised, right? He says, no, we're not them, yet we know that a person is not justified. They do not receive justification by the works of the law, but they do so through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order that to be justified by faith in Christ by works of the law because works of the law and through them no one will be justified. So Paul is saying that in Christ he will be justified. In his own righteousness he will not be justified. He'll be turned aside. Depart from me. I never knew you. That's the testimony of those who rely on their own righteousness. But Paul sees more than just justification available through faith in Christ. He also sees justification. Look at verse 10, particularly there at the end. Becoming like him in his death. Becoming like him in his death. There's a transitional period that Paul is pointing to in the life of a Christian. When we are in Christ, we have the power now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be transformed into the image image of Christ. Paul's hearkening back here to the death of Christ in chapter 2. How he humbles himself and becomes obedient to death, even death of the cross. How a holy God do such a thing? Well, it required humility. And in our sanctification, we know that we are being transformed into the image of Christ when we are evidencing humility, sanctification. Paul is saying, hey, remember, follow Jesus. He goes on to say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Furthermore, follow Timothy, this humble man, and Epaphroditus also, who humbled himself even almost to the point of death. You see, in sanctification, in Christ, you truly have the power to change. And Paul saw that. He had tried in his own ways to become righteous to God. He was unable to do so. And yet in Christ, he saw there truly was the power to not just be justified, but to be sanctified. And furthermore, to be glorified. Look at verse 11. What's Paul's final hope? What does he say? It's the resurrection. Verse 11. 
that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's final hope is not justification or sanctification, but that finally, at the end of time, when Christ returns, that he too will be resurrected just as Christ was, and that he finally will be glorified and so forever to be with his Lord. We see here, Paul says, do not compare yourself to your brother or to your sister. Compare your righteousness to Christ and go with the one that surpasses the other, which is, in fact, Christ's. And yet we find so much comfort in comparing ourselves to others. This is the language of Paul saying, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. His list is based on a comparison with others. He says, I have more reason to boast than all. He's exposing his own honest with us. I appreciate that. That's also true in our own lives. We love this idea that we would be a better Jew than you. Paul's the best of the best. We love to think ourselves the best of the best. Paul goes on to unwind that and demonstrate for us the weakness in this argument. How simple, how silly. Yes, your rock may be bigger than your neighbor's rock, but it's still only gravel. And Paul is saying there, here in this scenario, Jesus is the diamond. Would you not toss an old collection of gravel, that collection that you clutch to so tightly, and would you lay hold of this gem, which is Christ, by faith, receiving His righteousness. At Hagerstown Church, we say this, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And here's a good reason as to why it is. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about your successes and your neighbor's failures. It is all about Christ. Only through Christ can we truly be justified. Only through Christ can we truly be sanctified and finally glorified. He is the gem. He is the diamond. There's no contest. The worth of knowing Christ is far surpassing. It's immeasurable. But Paul's calculated decision to sort out what is important in his life. What he would truly rejoice in. Here we are at our third point. The third thing that I believe the Word of God, the Apostle Paul wants us to remember, and that is the weight of your choice. The weight of your choice. It's ever so subtle, but I want to point it out to you. There is a conscious decision that each and every one of us need to make. Either that we will put our confidence in our own righteousness or we'll put our confidence in Christ's righteousness. Notice the language here in verse 7. Paul says, I counted. I counted. He makes a decision here. He's sorting out, so to speak. There he is on the basketball court. And he's looking at the options that, he's say, as, that he has, and he says, I'm not going to choose this guy. I'm going to choose this one. I count him better. I count him as surpassing. And verse 8, he says, for his sake, for the sake of gaining Christ. In order to gain Christ, he makes a decision. Verse 8, he says, I count them as. Here again, he's making a conscious choice 
And finally, in verse 8, he says, I do this, why? In order that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul recognized that there was a choice to make. And each of us are making that choice. What do you choose? Will you choose your own righteousness, weak as it may be? Or will you choose the alien righteousness, the foreign righteousness that God extends to you by faith in Christ Jesus? Paul had a choice to make. He looked across the basketball court. Who would he choose? He comes away telling us there's no value in circumcision. There's no value to the flesh. Only, there's only value in knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. And let me warn you, you cannot rejoice in the Lord while rejoicing in the flesh. You cannot rest in the Lord while you rest in your own righteousness. Galatians 1 warns us that to do such a thing, to have such a thought, one, it leads to damnation. To think that you can add Christ's righteousness in some way leads to damnation. But to follow Christ, to choose Christ alone, to place no confidence in the flesh, but all of your confidence in Christ, and to delight in Him leads to justification. It leads to sanctification, and it leads to glorification. In the final stage of the classic pilgrim, I'm sorry, in the fourth stage, not the final stage, the fourth stage of the classic pilgrim's progress, our friend, our pilgrim, Christian, he comes face to face with that evil tempter, that accuser of the brethren, Apollyon. Other two despair over all the sins and shortcomings that we had read about previously in the first three stages. He parades in front of Pilgrim all the ways that he has failed his master, all the ways that he has strayed from the path. And I love our brother Christian's response. In the face of this evil attack, it says, Christian glanced at the ground and he says, All this is true. In fact, there is much more that you have left out. And he looked back up at Apollyon. But the prince whom I serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. He goes on to glory in Christ. And he does not glory in his own righteousness, his own merits. He glories, he delights in Christ's. And brothers and sisters, this is the crux of the matter. If you stand in your own merit, you will be cast out. But if you stand in Christ's, you will be brought in. Christian was not standing there defiant to Apollyon because of anything he had done. But he claimed righteousness of Christ by faith. Perhaps the choice for you at the beginning of our time this morning was not so obvious. And I pray that at, at the end of our time that you would see the importance of remembering the weakness of the flesh. I pray that you would remember the worth of knowing Christ and what that offers. And finally, that you would remember the weight of your choice. Christian, delight in Christ. Remembering these three things will cause your delight to increase. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning... We come to you asking 
that you would cause us to have the same testimony as the Apostle Paul, that we, each of us, would count all of our works as filthy. Father, that we would turn from our confidence in the flesh, the things that we've accomplished, the good deeds that we've done, and we count them as the Apostle Paul did, as rubbish. May we delight and rejoice in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, cause us to remember our own weakness. Cause us to remember the truth of knowing Christ. And help us to remember that we are consciously making a choice, and it is a weighty one. Would in the last day we be found in you, claiming Christ's righteousness. This is our prayer, and we ask that this be done in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen.